But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I believe that God loves and cares for me? Do I trust that he is for me and not against me? That God wants the best for me and is a good father to me? Then he has given me the gift of singleness for a short time or a longer time because he wants what is best for me. So is it wrong to have a desire to be married if you're single and you're like, I'm not content? Listen, no. It is okay to have that desire. It is wrong, however, to worship that desire. It is wrong to pursue that more than you pursue your relationship with Jesus Christ. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Good to see you guys tonight. All right. 2021. All right. If you're new, if you're new here, dude, we're so glad you guys are here. My name is Pastor Andrew. You can just call me. I don't know why I just said Pastor Andrew. My name is Andrew. I'm the pastor for the Young Adults Group. So um, great to see you guys. Great to meet you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk later. We are currently going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, as excited as I was to come back to, to teach this chapter, um, I did not in any way plan on this being our first message of 2021, but we are going to be talking about tonight um, the gift of singleness. Um, so, it, it, <laughs> boo, someone's like, the gift, more like the curse. Um, just kidding, it's not. Okay, so... We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to explain. We're going to do something a little different, but um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. And um, God help us. All right. We should, we should pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful, God, that you uh, have been so faithful this past year. And, and Lord, just to see where you've taken us and... And God, uh, we truly had to cling to that promise, Lord, what the enemy intended for evil, God, you've used for good. And, and so, Lord, as we look back over our life, Lord, we want to highlight just the good that you've done in us, uh, the ways in which you change us by your spirit, you're sanctifying us, Lord, and uh, God, we're thankful and we're grateful. Lord, we pray tonight as we get into your word together, Lord, that you would teach us in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, as you've been so faithful to do. God, that you'd move among us, you'd soften our hearts, and Lord, that Jesus would be lifted up and glorified in our hearts and in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So um, originally, chapter 7 of Corinthians begins with this, an exhortation towards the married, but we're going to work backwards through the text and kind of work from the end that addresses singleness and then works its way towards marriage because before you're married you actually are single very good way to go all right sharp sharpest tax in here okay so we're going to work from that angle and the reason normally um it's not that we would ever skip over marriage and like this doesn't apply to you listen marriage it we may not all be married in this room but marriage directly affects all of us we've all been impacted by it we've all been affected by it so it is something that we need to address and go over, but the book of 1 Corinthians is a book of correction. The Apostle Paul, uh, he cared deeply for this church. 
Uh, in the city that it was known, uh, that it was located in, it was known for its depravity. And if, if you were a liar, if you were a cheater, if you were sexually promiscuous, they would say that you're acting like a Corinthian. And that was their reputation in this city. And Paul receives this report from what was going on in the church in Corinth, and it revealed that the church was struggling with division, it was struggling with immorality, idolatry, and theological confusion. And so he wrote them this letter so that they would become a true dwelling place for God's spirit. They would stay faithful to the gospel and they would be guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul encourages them that they should work together for the advancement of the gospel. That if they were truly going to be used by God to impact their city, it was going to be a work of the whole church. Everyone would have to come together. Everyone would have to be on board. And so Paul writes this letter correcting issues. And so we come to this division of the book where the first six chapters is just Paul correcting all of the jacked up stuff that was going on. Um, and you can go back and read it for yourself. There's some real interesting, uh, what you find as you read the Bible from page one to the end is that human beings are awful, right? <laughs> Human beings are jacked up, sinful messes from the very family that Jesus came from. The, the people of Israel, if you go through the Bible just listening to the family that Jesus came from, all of them were really jacked up. We always, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those dudes were great men of God, but yet they did some really awful things and messed up things. And what's so wonderful about that is that God in his grace still used these men still blessed them, still encouraged them, still drew him to himself and used them mightily. And so the, the, the scope of scripture paints for us this picture of the fact that if you're on the outskirts of, of your relationship with God, meaning that sin is separating you from a relationship with God, the good news is that the gospel tells us that Jesus died to bring us in close. So there's no sin tonight that you've committed that will push you so far beyond Jesus Christ and beyond the grace of God and beyond the blood of Jesus Christ that you can't repent from and come back. Just read the story of Judah and Tamar and you'll be blessed. <laughs> Don't read it. Because you'll vomit a little bit in your mouth. It's like one of those kinds of stories. So Paul encouraged them, hey, you're getting off track, but let's reel it back in here. Let's repent. Let's get on the right course. And then he begins to answer the questions that they had. There, we don't have the letter. We know that they, were, they wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul asking him these different questions. And we don't have that letter, but we do have his responses. And so what we're going to read is his response, and we can kind of guess at the answer, kind of like Jeopardy. You know, all right, kind of like that. But that is the division of the book. He's going to then begin to answer some of their questions. And it's been mostly corrective until now. And now he begins to answer the, some of the questions that they had about just everyday life. We don't have that letter, but that's okay. So the question that we can guess at, right? Because Paul starts off in verse 1. He says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me. Okay, so that's how we know that there was a letter that was written to him. It is good... Sorry? Yeah, no, that's right. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Right? That seems like solid advice. Not something that we would be like, oh, that's revolutionary. So I'm going to have my own husband and you're going to have your own wife. And that, wow, Jesus, you are 
amazing. It seems pretty normal. But one of the things that we begin to look at the context of the culture with what question they would be asking is perhaps something like this. We live in a sex crazed culture. Before we were saved, we knew how to meet someone, what to do when we met them, when we were together, and how to get rid of them when we were done. Since we are saved now, have the rules changed? What do we do? How do we engage in this kind of relationship? What are the guidelines? Are there clear boundaries? Uh, Because our culture says that anything goes. Polygamy was a big practice. Prostitution was a big practice. I mean, these were all things that were widely accepted and encouraged as part of the economic process of the town. And here they are, a church that's called to live counter to culture, and they're wondering, like, what do we do? How do we engage in, you know, my, you know, we got married, and before we were both unsaved, now I'm saved, my wife's not, what do we do? Before we get to that part, we want to talk about Paul's instructions for those that are single. And chapter 7 begins with the address to married couples, but we're going to work backwards through the passage. We want to look at Paul's instructions for us um, who are single, and then we will discuss the marriage portion because it makes sense, right? makes sense. But in every one of those chapters of our life, God has a purpose and a mission for us wherever we are. And so I want to begin by saying this, that this is Paul writing from a a perspective of the church. This is not the way that the world sees it. This is not the way in which the world preaches it. Uh, We're being preached at and told a different gospel from the world all the time when it comes to relationships, when it's talking about marriage. In the world, it's for the guys, it's be single as long as you can before you get clasped in irons and then chained to this ball and chain of a woman and then your life is over and every kind of like movie paints the married guy as like the, the downer of the group. And he's like, I can't do anything, I have to homeschool or whatever, kind of the Ned Flanders of the group. And everyone else is like, we're free, <laughs> sucks for you and whatever. Anyway. But that's not the narrative of the church. In fact, the church often glorifies marriage as this is the purpose of your life. But listen, you can find the purpose of your life, whether you're single or whether you're married, the purpose stays the same, and that is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That doesn't change based upon who you're with. And we'll get more into that in a minute. But look at verse 7. It says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So he begins by saying this specific word, each one has his own gift from God. We want to begin by saying, number one, that singleness is, or being single often is, a gift from God. My son uh, no, my daughter, excuse me. I have four kids, and I forget their names and their ages all the time. But my daughter just turned three a few days ago, and um, our little daughter, Fifi, she's so cute um, and absolutely crazy. But she turned three. She got gifts, she had a cake, she was all excited. But one of the things that was interesting that she got was cards. Cards for a three-year-old, okay? It's also called a waste of time and money. So, so my daughter gets these, 
these awesome gifts. There's dolls, there's riding cars, there's all these things. And then there's like an envelope and you're like, okay, open this one. It's from grandma. And she opens it and it's this, you know, cute little puppy. And it's like, you're special and stuff falls out of it. And she throws it aside and just casts it aside. And it's like, ah, no, no, this is a waste of time for me. She doesn't realize how now you understand how great of a gift that is, don't you? When grandma sends you a letter in the mail and you're like, you shouldn't send cash in the mail, but I'm so glad you do, grandma. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> However, you know, you're 18, so you get $18 and you're like, <laughs> the 20 would have been great. Um, but you, know, you get that in the mail. That you, we understand what a great gift that is, but to a three-year-old, it's kind of a waste of time. And a lot of times we don't understand that the gift of being single is actually just that. It is a gift from God. Because we don't understand necessarily how good it is until we're a little bit older. I'm not saying that being married is awful. If my wife is listening to this later, I'm so glad that we got married. You're fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for marrying me. <laughs> I'm not sure, not sure how this is going to go. But... What the Apostle Paul is going to try and get us to see is that being single is actually a gift. And what we find is that we, what we want is not always best for us. And what is best for us is not always what we want. Some gifts are more welcomed than, other, than others. And I say that because Paul is going to talk about singleness in a way that is absolutely counter to the, uh, to, to the Christian and the church culture that we live in. Church can also and sometimes hyper-elevate marriage as the pinnacle of the human experience. However, what about those who've been called to a life of singleness and celibacy? Because Paul talks about that as well. Jesus talked about that. How there are some that are eunuchs by choice. There are some that, that, that just, that's what God's called them to. So are they outside of God's plan and are they missing out on what God would have experienced for their life? No. No. And the point is, is either way, the devil loves to swing us to either side of the pendulum. Where, where he'll swing us to the side of like singleness is the height of, of Christian experience. I don't want to be tied down to anything. That's my calling. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't want anything to do with it. That's the way the world sees it. And however, the, on the other side of the pendulum, the, the church sees it as unless you're married, you're not living life. And that'll happen for you someday. Let's pray for you. And not that that's, I think people have good intentions, but you're like, come on, like, I'm okay. I'm 20. Like, I got time. You know, it's not like the end of the world. But it, I don't know about you, but I've experienced both. Where it's like this, you know, people are like, oh, that's okay. And you're like, yeah, it is okay. Like, I'm fine. So where's the happy medium? First of all, we need to have the proper perspective of life here on earth. No, uh, verse 7, singleness is a gift. He says, it is a gift from God. Each one has its own gift. And you may be asking, well, who wants that gift? It's not something I pray for. It's not something that many people ask for for Christmas. You're like, I want the new iPhone. I want a new surfboard, new pair of jeans, those you know, high tops or whatever. And also, I want to be alone. <laughs> yay, yay me. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I believe that God loves and cares for me? Do I trust that he is for me and not against me? That God wants the best for me and has, is a good father to me? Then he has given me the gift of singleness for a short time or a longer time because he wants what is best for me. And a lot of times we can push forward into something that God is saying no to, that this is a time and a season in which God is drawing us closer to him. 
Because there's a time and a season in which you have time in that season to where you can devote yourself wholly and more, uh, and more towards the things of God. The question becomes, why would God allow length of time or allow this time to happen? What's going on here? Why would a loving God allow me to be single when I have a desire to be married? Anyone ever, you don't have to raise your hand. But you ever thought that, like, I want to be married, but, like, all the guys are, and, like, they all play video games, and they don't hang out, or whatever. Or I want a girlfriend, but they won't talk to me, and they think I'm weird. And, yeah, stop messaging them through social media and, like, talk to them face-to-face. -face. That'll help your case. Also, get a job. That'll help, you know? Like, those are basic things that, like, do you have a job? Yes. All right, let's go on a date. Like, that's 101. Pretty good, pretty good. Do that. Get a job. All right. So is it wrong to have a desire to be married if you're single and you're like, I'm not content? Listen, no. It is okay to have that desire. It is wrong, however, to worship that desire. It is wrong to pursue that more than you pursue your relationship with Jesus Christ. God's not going to put you in the same Starbucks and then like not let you guys meet, right? He's like, watch this. And he like messes with you and like moves things around. And you're like, oh, that was it. That was the chance. I blew it. Like, oh, I'm going to marry the wrong one. Okay, let's talk about the concept of the one for just a second, okay? There is no such thing as the one. Like you have a one that lives in India and you have to go find them. And you're like, that's the one. Because let's be honest here, if let's say you get married, but you married the wrong one. That means that that other person marries the wrong one, who then in turn marries the wrong one, who then marries the wrong one, and you just blew up the whole universe. Way to go. <laughs> Way to go. Like you ruined it. Good job. Your fault. So let, let's, for a second here, Disney Channel has ruined all of our minds. Let's reset for a second. That the concept of the one does not exist. Here's what happens. You begin to fall in love with some, someone and you say, you will be my one forever. And I will choose to make you the one for the rest of my life. That's what marriage is for. It's the declaration of oneness, uh, of singularity, that we are choosing to be one. And from here on out, that's it. We're together. You are the person. It's making them the one, not forcibly like, you will be my one. But you've decided. Guys, when you get down and you're like, or whatever, and you're bawling your eyes out because you're like, this is it. Ah. I don't know about you, but I'm an ugly crier. Just like all this hair and all this movement, like, just like weeping and, um, yeah. In our engagement photos, when I asked my wife to marry me, she's like smiling and pretty, and I'm like this red-faced. Like, she said, I lost it. Anyway, when you make that decision, what you are saying is I'm making a commitment to be your one forever. So the concept of the one does not exist in the sense that there is a person placed on this planet somewhere in this world of nine billion people, good luck, go. It's not some amazing race to like find the next clue to finding them. It happens very organically and naturally. You meet someone, you think, man, this is kind of like cool. They like are pretty and stuff. And it happens naturally. It gets to a point where you're like, I don't want to be with anyone else. 
I don't want them to be with anyone else. So why would you let them? And you make the decision to say, hey, you're the one. I want to make you the one. I want to choose you for the rest of my life. And honestly, that's what it is every day is choosing to, that person to be the one every day. It's not like, I always ask my wife, like, do you believe that I was the one? She's like, well, not all the time. <laughs> it's not every day that I'm like, yes, this is the one. But at some point we decided this is, this is who we want to be with, okay? So that's off topic and that was for free. If you have any questions, let me know. Why? Okay, those are, that's a good desire to have. If you want to be married, hey, that's a good desire. Odds are you don't have the gift of singleness for the rest of your life. And that's okay. Right? Everyone's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You're not in sin for desiring that. It's a good desire. The Bible tells us he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Finding would entail searching. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with that. Unless you drop your water bottle at church. <laughs> then it's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. So... But what is happening here? Look at verse 35 of chapter 7. It says here, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Let me read to you out of the ESV. It says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And Paul says, I don't want to put, I'm not putting a leash around your neck, meaning literally it's a noose where he's, you're just hanging there and you're like, God help me. Like why? I'm alone. He's like, this is, the purpose of this is not to torture you. It's not to punish you. It's not because you have some secret sin in your life and God's therefore not allowing you to find someone that you could be with. That's not the point of it. And Paul's saying, that's not why we're, we're putting this out there. But he says, I'm saying this to promote what is appropriate for you in your life. That there needs to be an appropriate, uh, meaning that there's an appropriate means to fit in an environment and fits the occasion. When something is inappropriate, it does not fit the environment, right? It's like if I was performing a wedding this weekend, I get to perform a wedding. And not that I'm like singing or dancing or performing, but I get to officiate. I'm like, <laughs> <clears throat> but I'm officiating the wedding. Now, it would be inappropriate for me to show up in, in like, swim trunks, right? <laughs> swim trunks at a wedding don't, unless you're, like, at a beach. I think the only time that a Speedo is really, like, okay is at the beach. That's the appropriate setting, and even then it's iffy. But imagine if you showed up to a wedding in that way. It's incredibly inappropriate. Why? Because it doesn't fit the environment. doesn't fit the context. God has allowed us a season of singleness right now because he wants to promote a worldview and a lifestyle that fits the environment that we are in. God wants us to see and engage the world that is right for the moment that we are in, for this cultural moment, the occasion that we are in. What is the moment that we're in? Look at verses 29 through 31. It says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. What moment are we in? We are closer to the return of Christ than we have ever been. That does not mean that you getting married is sinful and you're like, I can't believe this. Don't you know Jesus is coming back? Remember, I don't know if you saw this, like during COVID when people were like doing stuff to their house and painting and people would comment like, 
on, you know, you're like, look at this new color. And people are like, I can't believe you would paint your house when people are dying. Are you so insensitive? Or like, I can't believe you would do this. And like their whole life stopped because of what was going on. In fact, we are called to, by God, to continue to live as we are for the furtherance of the gospel. Life doesn't stop because of what's going on around us. We continue to live and follow Jesus Christ. Paul says the environment that we are in is that the Lord is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That is the environment. You are living your life and growing up and and becoming adults and having jobs and doing all this stuff in the last days. That's the time in which you are growing up. It is, it is, Jesus is coming back. And so it needs to be appropriate for the environment. He's saying, I want you to understand and have your worldview to be beyond this place, beyond Orange County, to see that the world is on fire. What are you going to do about it? Because it's not my generation that's going to change the world and do something for the Lord. It's this generation right here. And every, all the older generation that talks so much smack on the millennial and you guys get everything handed to you and this and that and it's an all an app and you can order food and everything's handed to you. They have no idea what you guys are capable of. And I believe that it's a tool of the enemy, of the enemy to pound into you that you can't do anything for the Lord, which is baloney, which is a nice way of saying it. <laughs> if anyone's going to change the world, it's this generation. If anyone's going to make a shift in culture, it's this generation. If anyone's going to be fed up with everything they're being fed of lies and the way that the culture is going, it's this generation. It's not mine. So every time that you hear someone say, oh, millennials, you say, yeah, that's right, millennials. Or Gen Z or Gen X or Gen Dead or whatever they call us now. It's ridiculous. What I wish is that the whole church could see this room when you guys worship. Do you know how much hope that gives to older people? A lot of times older people are so inundated, inundated, myself included, I'm inundated with just all bad news. All the bad news about youth and all the bad news about young people and you're like, oh man, everything's going in a basket. And you come to a young adult service and you see people raise their hands and worship God and you're like, okay, God's not dead. God's still moving. You know what I mean? So anytime someone says, oh, millennial, you're like, yeah, that's right. Watch what I, watch what's gonna happen. It's going to be a move of God upon the youth. So, I don't know where I am. Jesus is coming back. Paul isn't saying that we should ditch our wives and husbands. Like if you're married, you're like, Jesus is coming back. See ya. Here's a bill of divorce. Um, Because we're in the final moment of time in the earth, um, God wants us to have a proper view of the world that we're in. So what's interesting is that if you go through scripture, if you were to take your Bible tonight and you just begin to add up all the times that scripture talks about being single or dating or marriage. You have Genesis chapter two, okay? It's like that. Ruth, it's like a little bit of that. It's like four chapters or six or something like that. Song of Solomon, you shouldn't read that yet. <laughs> Proverbs, okay, we got Proverbs here, it's 31 chapters. You have Matthew chapter five, you have Ephesians five, that's like two pages. You have 1 Peter 3, also really short, and you have 1 Thessalonians. It's like four pages, okay? So you have that right there. And that's like, that's pretty generous, wouldn't you say? Okay, so what you find by seeing this right now is if you add up all of the sections of Scripture about marriage and sex and dating, 
What you find is that it's not the main storyline and the focus of the Bible, is it? The focus is Jesus coming for his bride in the church. That is the focus of the word of God, isn't it? He wants our focus to be on him and the purpose that he is drawing his people into his kingdom. Paul isn't saying that marriage and dating or the desire to be married is a sin, but he makes the point that if you are currently single, don't let the pursuit of a spouse be the main storyline of your life because it's not the main storyline of scripture, is it? The main storyline is Jesus Christ and what God, why he gave us his word is to navigate this life and to continue to make Jesus the center point, the centerpiece of our life. That doesn't change when you get married. Like it's something that God gives us time to understand that Christ has to be at the center of my life because if I'm hoping in anything else, if I'm pouring into other wells, eventually those run dry. They run out because they're cracked. They don't hold up. And so I'm pouring all of my hope into Jesus. Everything that I have, he is the centerpiece of my life. And everything else revolves around him. We are Christocentric people. Just as the church is Christocentric, so is the temple of the Holy Spirit Christocentric. I'm supposed to revolve, my life revolves around the fact that I love Jesus. That is the main storyline of my life. That means not that my relationship is here and Jesus is somewhere out here orbiting and you're like, yeah, it's a part of my life, but it's like, okay, it's like a supplement thing. It's Christ at the center and marriage is a part of that because without this at the center, we have destructive tendencies. And if your hope is in another person, what you're going to find is that it's hopeless. Hope deferred, Proverbs says, is what makes the heart sick. If all your hope right now is that someday your prince will come. I've been watching a lot of Disney's, uh, Disney princess <laughs> movies lately. And just this whole thing like someday my prince will come. That may be true. But if your hope is in that and then it falls apart, like it doesn't happen the way that you think and your heart gets broken and shattered, then what? Then what? Christ is the centerpiece. Everything else revolves around him. So, so like we sang tonight, we will not be shaken when things begin to fall apart. Now, I want to, again, just preface this by saying that if you are dating someone in this room, this is not a proof text for you to break up. This is not like you like, yes, finally, I got my way out. Like I was wondering, like, see, we should stay. Jesus is telling me to break up with you. Okay, that doesn't feel good. And you shouldn't do that to anyone ever. But look at what th verse 35 says here. Continuing on. He wants us to have the right perspective. He wants us to understand and to have the right appropriate attitude for the environment that we're in. But th verse 35 also says to us that God wants us to have, or he wants us to be without distraction. Verse 35. It says, And this I say to you, uh, for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but that in... But for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And let's be honest. Dating can be distracting. Do you know the Puritans used to have the men sit on one side and the women sit on the other side? Because there's no way you can worship Jesus with a good-smelling woman next to you. Like, that was their whole idea. Like, it's just not going to happen. So we need to separate. Okay? It could be distracting. It could be something that begins to blind us often. 
But the reason that we're single now is, is that we may be reminded that there is a bigger story that is being written and is coming to an end. But also, God wants our attention. God wants our attention. Um, oh, shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. I don't know about you, but I'm distracted right now. I was just distracted right now. It doesn't take much for me to be distracted. If you see me on Sunday and Wednesday, I'm usually walking around because I'm distracted. And if I sit in church, I'm distracted. I'll sit in the back and I'm like, look at that guy's head. He's got a roll on the back of his neck. What is that, mole? Is that chocolate? Is that whatever? I'm so distracted already. And I'm like, ah, all the time, okay? God has given you a moment of singleness because honestly, it is distracting, isn't it? And again, if you're dating, like no condemnation, like I'm not telling you to break up. And like, but listen, understand that there can be a distraction because that becomes the focal point of your life. It's what everything is driven to. Suddenly you don't have friends anymore. But listen, girls, if you don't have friends anymore and all you hang out with your boyfriend, you have no bridesmaids. Okay? Friends are a part. Listen, they need to be integrated into your relationship. They need to be brought in, not pushed away. Dating and marriage, it needs to be, not, and not in a weird way, it needs to be a group project. Because often love blinds us to things that we should see, but we don't. And your friends see it and they're like, this guy is awful. And you're like, no, so sweet. Look at what he, you know, whatever. You're blinded. We have blind spots in our character. We have blind spots in our relationship. And if you don't have friends around you to guide you and to help you and like bounce stuff, even Song of Solomon, there's a time where the Shulamite runs to her friends and she's like, give me carbs now because I am so lovesick. Like I'm ready to just pounce on this guy and I need your help to restrain me. I need your help to keep me pure, she says. Like I said, don't read it. There, there's a point where she's just so enthralled with this guy. And she's like, I can't, I can't help myself. And they're there to calm her down, bring her back down to earth and say, listen, you need to wait. The more that you push people out of your relationship and you only hang out together, the more susceptible you are to fall. The devil will pick you off. And this is why, and listen, we need to put our attention towards the Lord. We live in a world of distraction, like insane. That algorithms are created to keep you distracted, to keep you involved, to keep you on social media. There's an algorithm that's drawing your attention so that they can sell you stuff. In the same way, the devil loves to keep you distracted so that he can sell you lies. But God wants us undistracted, undivided, undistracted devotion to him to secure that which we were made for, which is devotion and relationship with him. That's what we're made for, is to know our God. And listen, I don't want to minimize the longing and hurt in people's hearts of like, it's not a big deal, like just suck it up and like you're fine. And you're like, no, it's not fine. And I'm not minimizing that at all. But what hopefully what scripture is doing is helping you to refocus and to re-steward that which God has placed in your heart. I don't know about you, but when lights come on my dashboard in my car, it kind of freaks me out. Has that ever happened to you? No? Like the transmission one or the engine light, and you're like, that's not a good light. And nowadays there's like a digital thing that says, your car is about to explode. <laughs> and a nice lady with a British accent comes on and is like, your car is about to explode. <laughs> She's very sweet about it, but it's like, this is kind of a big deal. Okay? Lights on the dashboard are indications of things that are going wrong. There's misfiring that's happening in the engine. Okay? Emotions are the same way. 
Emotions are lights on a dashboard that highlight to us things that are going on in our heart. We're never to be driven by emotion. We are to allow our emotions to indicate what's going on in our heart. And so in order to do that, listen, we eliminate distraction when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is, it's not only the foundation, it's, the, it's like I said, it's the centerpiece for the rest of your life. That doesn't change. You're like, man, why can't I do this while I'm, you know, while I'm dating someone? I can still be devoted to the Lord with my wife. You know, just show me the one. Like, yeah, we can do this. Paul says, I want you to be also without stress. How many of you have ever been stressed out? Anxiety, and you don't have to raise your hand. Like, anxiety is a big thing right now where people are like, man, I'm having anxiety attacks. Paul says, being single actually eliminates some of that stress and anxiety. I'm only 27 up here. No, I'm just kidding. But I, when, we, when we got married, I, I had no idea. I was 21 years old. Lauren and I have been dating for five years, so it's been a long time. And so we got married, and I was like, dude, sweet. This is going to be like this. And then it wasn't like that at all. Suddenly, I have, like, responsibility, like rent. Like, that was a big deal for me. Um, and food, too. And I made, okay, I made... This is sad, but I'm going to tell you. I made $1,475 a month. Yeah, super rich. It's like a big deal. Um, it was awful. My rent was $1,525. Yeah. And that was like cheap. It is cheap. Still is really cheap. Okay. So that was like, all of a sudden this hit me of like, oh my gosh, I can't afford life. And so I had, I had three jobs. I had three jobs. My wife had a job and she made a lot more money than me. And it was really sad and embarrassing, but hey, here we are. Um, but something like that became a new stress of like money. Where's money going all the time? I'm like buying food. And I'm like, we can't do the organic thing. Like that's way too expensive. Suddenly there's these different stresses and anxieties that come with life. In verse 32 and verse 33, he says here, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for things of the Lord. He who may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And listen, this is not something, Paul's not saying, hey, I want you to be, um, I just don't want you to have the responsibilities of life because Paul would never indicate that. The Lord would never say, just forsake your responsibilities. What Paul is saying here is that with relationships come responsibilities. And listen, to ignore that is also sinful. So what Paul's saying is that these are built-in responsibilities from God, by God. It's a part of life that you should be taking care of and you should be encouraged to take care of these responsibilities. And therefore, you can't go and do and serve and go off on a mission trip for three months. And you're like, see ya, honey. I'll be, I'm in Thailand. I'll see you later. Like, and you're just gone. It doesn't work that way. There's built-in responsibility. Pleasing your wife, it often means doing things that you don't want to do. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a lot of things like I don't want to do that, but there I go and I'm doing that. Two years ago, I sold my truck. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. But you do it because I have responsibilities. I have to be responsible and it's not, it's not her who sacrifices, it's me. I'm the one, chief sacrificer of the home. 
It is my responsibility and I gladly accept it. That is what a man does. Took me a little while to figure it out, but that's what men do. We forsake our own will for the will of another. It's what Jesus did and that's what we do. So if you have this idea, <laughs> like we're gonna get married and I'm gonna do whatever I want. No, you won't. Have you ever gone to an antique shop? Of course you haven't, but if you've ever gone, or if you walk by one and you see all these old men in that place, none of them want to be there. None of them want to be there, but they're there because they love their wives and so they're there. Holding purses, sitting on a bench most of the time. Pleasing your wife often means doing things you really don't want to do. You go places you don't want to go. You spend money that you don't want to spend. You buy things that you don't want to buy. You're at in-laws and aunt's houses and birthday parties that you don't want to go to. <laughs> pleasing your wife, pleasing your husband. It's a lot, it's hard, it's work. And you realize that you have married a sinner also. You realize like, man, this is, this is not exactly what I thought it was going to be. And so Paul says, listen, this is the gift of singleness. And I hope I didn't paint marriage as like this horrible thing. We have four beautiful children. It's just, we, I love it. Like, I love going antiquing with my wife. I, I love going, like, I go to Hobby Lobby with her. And I'm just like, Hobby Lobby. I didn't realize, like, Christian bookstores could vomit. Look, everywhere, Christian bookstore stuff. And, you know, you're just kind of like, but we're together, and that's what I love, right? We're, we're together. It doesn't matter what we're doing as long as we're together. That's, that's the beauty of it. Suddenly, you're like, your, your free will that you, like, held on to, and you're like, no, I will do what I want. You're like, ah, take it. I'll do whatever. I just love it. So I hope you don't think I hate marriage and anything like that. But hopefully, you're understanding what Paul is relaying to you and I. That if your whole, whole goal is just to find the one and get married, and he's, he's saying, listen, you're missing out on life. If you're like, man, that's when life's going to begin. Once I find that person, once we get married, then life's going to begin. You are missing out on your life. This is your life. This is it right here. This is, this is life. You continue to live no matter what. If you're like, <laughs> um, it's like a Switchfoot song. This is your life. Your hands. There you go. <laughs> Takes time, finances, emotions. And listen, that's without kids. You throw kids in and it changes everything. Right, Teague? Hallelujah. Teague hasn't even been in the room. She's been out there with her baby. I mean, the, 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 does she want to be in here? Probably not. But hey, now she has an excuse. She's with the baby. But there's all these things. Listen, this is what Paul's saying. There is a, a, a level of responsibility and there's a level of anxiety that comes. And he says, I want you to be without that. Just learning to love Jesus. Don't try and force something before it's supposed to happen. Enjoy the season that you're in because it's preparing you for the next one. Someday it will change. If you're like, when? It's been an eternity. It will. Just relax. Enjoy your life. Serve Jesus. And it, God's going to bring it in his time. But Paul's saying there is freedom also in singleness. But that freedom is not something to be an idiot. But to please the Lord. Right? So they're like, I'm free. Man. I can do whatever I want. You don't have the freedom to be an idiot. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say like anywhere in here. You are free to do the stupidest things that you've ever done without any consequences. Second Opinions 4.13. I could do all things through Christ who's trained. doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. But what does he say? 
It's not just freedom to do what you want. It's freedom to, pr- to please the Lord. Before you knew Christ, before you had faith, you couldn't please the Lord. You couldn't. Now you can because you know Jesus. So he says, that's what it's for. To please God in every moment of the day. That as you walk, as you talk, as you breathe, you're experiencing life with God. There's no longer a separation of secular and sacred. All things glorify God. Are you seeking to glorify God with your life in the season that you're in? Or are you complaining that God hasn't done what he said he would do? You're missing out. And what's happening is you're becoming, listen, you're becoming a corporate stooge of the devil. He's just feeding you this stuff and he's ripping off your joy and he's just like, (laughs) I love seeing you miserable. It's my favorite. I don't care how it happens, but I'm just glad it does. So the point is that Paul makes is leverage your singleness. You work a job, cool, but that's not what you do. You're a follower of Jesus, devoted to the king, bringing people into the kingdom, maximize your time. Maximize your time for the kingdom of God. You so said the average American male, by the time he reaches 21, will have spent 10,000 hours playing video games. It takes half that time to get your bachelor's degree. Leverage your time. We all have the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. How you choose to spend it really is important. It's important. How, how you, not that video games are the devil and like you're not going to hell for playing them. Mm, we'll see, but are you wasting time? Are you wasting time being, being single where you can be being used by the Lord in a way that other people can't, other people can't leverage that time in your life. Serve God. Now singleness will end at some point. So use every minute of it to sit with the people of God and serve God. If your singleness has a purpose, then your dating also will have a purpose at some point but we need to see the benefits of the stage of life that we're in. Amen? Amen. Like I was saying, hey, anything that was weird, if anything came off super harsh and like ungrate, like just super mean, I did not mean that. But I pray that you understand that right now, God is working in your life. He's not gonna just work at some point. Like God's working now. And what God is doing now in your life is setting you up for for what God's gonna do in the future. If you're single, you can find your purpose in life right now. You don't have to wait till you get married. It's now. It's right now. So may God richly bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. And God, I do pray that the things that were from you and from your spirit would stick and stay in our minds and everything else would just kind of fade away like chaff. And Lord, would you draw us closer to you? No matter what stage we're in, if, if we're in a relationship here tonight, God, we pray that you would be at the center of that relationship, drawing us closer to you as we draw closer to each other and moving towards that next step of marriage. What a glorious union that you have created and you thought up. God, you were so good. Thank you for it. But in the meantime, Lord, as you are working in our life, Jesus, we want to be devoted to you. We want to create good habits in our life that we can take into that relationship and into that next step of our life. So Jesus, we pray if we are wasting time, Lord, reveal those times and those areas of our life that are being wasted where we can leverage them for you, be used by you. God, if you're moving upon hearts to send people out, 
God, again, make it clear where you're sending them, what you're doing, what your plan is. Lord, we pray, as your word says, that if we delight ourselves in you, you will give us the desires of our hearts. So Lord, help us to delight in you. Amen. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you for children and that we don't, some of us don't have them yet. We love you, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand together tonight?